Welcome to the HVACR Radio Podcast. Tonight we have Damon from Pro Chillers with us, along with Chad, Ulysses, and Ruben. Damon, how are you? I'm doing good, doing good. Thanks for having me, everyone. Hey, no problem. We appreciate you being on here. Hey, uh, you bet. You guys got anything interesting to talk about that you can go over from the past week, Ulysses? Uh, this week I converted a unit, R22 older um, system. It's about 150 pounds of refrigerant, so it was in the customer's best interest to convert it to 407C. Well, the evil refrigerant? It's not evil. It's medium temp, so everything's good. <laughs> All right. Did you add POE oil? I did. I changed the oil All right, in the good. compressor, as you're supposed to. <laughs> nice. Do you want to go, go ahead and roll into the uh, tool that yeah. you want to talk about? Yeah. Well, um, I picked up this tool called, uh, it's called a POE. Um, it stands for Positive Oil Exchanger. You can mount it on the compressor and leave it in there, but I um, just kept it in my truck. Actually, I've never used one before, and surprisingly. But uh, so what you do with this tool is it, um, it's for semi-hermetic compressors. You thread it onto the crankcase, and you pressurize it with about 5 or 10 PSI. It has a Teflon tube that reaches all the way down into the crankcase, and it will remove the oil it has a three-way valve on top so you close the valve pressurize the crankcase and then you slowly open the valve and it will remove i say at least 90 percent of the oil so that made that job so much easier this probably took me like 10 minutes to change the oil so basically you have a port on the crankcase on a semi-hermetic compressor typically where you would take a crankcase pressure or something like that and you took that port out you, so you pump down the compressor, you get it down to zero PSI, you pull out your port that's going just into the crankcase, and you take your PoE valve, thread that into your port, and then pressurize the compressor, and it pushes or yeah, pushes the oil through the extraction tube out the valve into whatever yeah, you you're going to... Yeah, you thread a hose onto the... It has um, a pressure gauge... Um, connection with um, a shredder core on one side it's like a little t the other side is just a full port quarter inch um flare fitting just put a hose on it into a bucket and like you said just pressurize it and crack it open slowly if you're in a big hurry you don't have to use a bucket if you want to get oil, <laughs> if you want to get a uh chad knows if you want to get an oil shower yeah hey speaking of chad what'd you do this week um, really? not a whole lot. <laughs> what did you do today? Uh, today we installed a boiler. Well, we replaced a boiler uh, that was about ten years old, and it was pretty easy up until the point where we got to fire it up and it wouldn't fire up. So we got to go back tomorrow and figure that out. But um, it was a really tight space. The crane had some issues setting up, so we ended up craning it over the building, which was. A little nerve-wracking, but in the end, it went well. Cool. And you had something you want to talk about for, uh, I think, Rita coming up? Yeah. So um, Rita just announced that they're having the Rita National Conference. Um, They're doing it virtually this year due to COVID. It's a three-day deal, October 27th through the 29th. 
They got a lot of good stuff going on. Uh, registration fees. Members pay two seventy five, uh, and non members is three seventy five. It's going to be pretty much the same as uh, live ones, but you know, obviously, you're not going to get all the cool swag that um, they give out. But uh, the virtual expo halls, and that's I mean, that's pretty much it. So. Yeah, I assume they'll, they're going to do that kind of like the previous year's probably format where they had uh, some lectures that you could listen to. A lot, like a lot of times they'll get industry professionals to do white papers regarding some aspect of refrigeration that they want to basically research more in depth and try to you know figure out these problems that they're having at a particular plant that may apply to the rest of the industry as well. So I'm assuming they'll have that. And then uh, I've talked to a couple of the vendors. So it sounds like to me that they're going to have the vendors at their computer essentially all day for three days. And then people can go into like at a virtual conference booth and meet up with the vendors that way and get more information about their products and services that they offer. So it should be interesting. I don't know how this is going to go, but um it sounds like they've been putting a lot of work into it, so hopefully it'll go well for them. And then maybe next year we can get back on track with having normal conferences. Definitely. Ruben, how about you, man? Uh, this week I started my uh, my new job at the new company I'm working at. And mm-hmm. let's just say it's taken me back to memory lane and changing filters, changing belts, doing PMs. Yeah, you know it's it's different work than refrigeration, but uh, at you this bored? point, like, what's that? You bored already? <laughs> uh, no, not yet. <laughs> but uh, it's definitely different than refrigeration. A uh, different atmosphere, different equipment. So I just got to kind of uh, jump into it and uh, just totally immerse myself in it once again, and just keep on going, man. I mean, it's completely, completely different. So yeah, even though it's the same trade and industry it's still completely different i think learn some new stuff unfortunately yeah and maybe just go over some old stuff <laughs> yep <laughs> cool how about you damon anything exciting going on this uh, recently oh oh yeah yeah i always got something new and new and interesting uh, today was kind of cool i had a uh, a customer with a uh, chiller system they were getting commissioned down in uh, guadalajara mexico wow. and we were do having to watch it uh operate online so we could help diagnose some temperature sensors that uh i think they we found was we had some mice chew through them the <laughs> wires on the system so oh, man. unit <laughs> but it was uh it was pretty cool being able to you know tie into things online and look at stuff remotely and we at the same time we're having facetime video and and all that good jazz so it, it was it was pretty cool um travel you know a tra- lot of travel uh stuff is starting to open back up a little bit, you know, some, some of the facilities that had been um, maybe not at full peak production, but, you know, a little less production are starting to ramp back up. And uh, so, we're, you know, we're getting those calls for uh, to come out for commissionings and things to help people with and tra- on-site trainings, those types of deals. So tomorrow we'll be, in fact, flying into uh, Las Vegas. To, we built a 290 horsepower um, multiple temperature suction group rack for a casino on fremont street that i think is looking to open sometime in october so that's going to be an exciting exciting visit so it sounds like always a good fun time. stuff here it is it is yeah yeah always fun stay out of trouble 
<laughs> try it or find some. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> It'll stay in Vegas. Don't worry about it. Yeah, yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> so I've, I've been following you on your Instagram and checking you out. Uh, you, you've been distilling some of your own spirits, I would say. Yeah, yeah. So playing, you know, um, I so I do uh, head up the applications engineering team for uh, Pro Chillers. One of the one of the hats I wear here. And uh, as you get in more involved with with working with folks, um, you know, you start to want to get a little more uh, into it outside of even the refrigeration side. But what 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 are the things that are going on in their processes? So you start to start to do what you can and, and play around a little bit, but it's been, it's been interesting. I, my wife says, uh, uh, I'm the tough guy to buy things for, uh, around Christmas time. And, and I think each new hobby I bring on that is kind of application related. She, it's always easy. She says, Whoa, you need to slow down partner. <laughs> Spending all the money. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But it look, was, uh, look it was, at all the money I'm saving. <laughs> yeah, that's right. The, the problem. Yeah. Yeah. The problem is the scale of, of what I'm able to make doesn't, doesn't offset the consumption side. So, <laughs> and, and, and really you, you start to realize very quickly leave the professional stuff to the professionals because yeah, uh, uh, there's all, there's a lot, always a lot more to it than you think. (laughs) What's the hardest part about distilling so far? You know, so far it's been, uh, uh, on the initial side of things, kind of figuring out that mash profile, uh, figuring out the type of yeast, uh, to utilize. You really kind of, uh, start to learn that if you start bad, you're going to end bad no matter what. And, uh, and, and then now I'm, I'm kind of moving on to those steps of figuring out how to do a uh, little small batch barrel aging and what types of, uh, uh, flavors you get there. So the, the, uh, it was kind of fun. Uh, a few weekends ago, I, uh, I made a, a mash and I went to, to, uh, uh, do the refrigeration side of it. Right. So I, you get it up to boiling. Now you got to get it down to uh temperature where, the yeast will actually not die off when you add them. So you got to get from say 180 down to uh, somewhere around that 85, 90 degree temperature range. So because I, I don't have a, a industrial chiller in my house, yeah. I have a sink you and cold water. In? <laughs> no, you, that's coming. <laughs> that is coming. As soon as I, as soon as that, that happens, I think that is where. Uh, that's where my wife's going to draw the line and say, Might it's no more divorce papers. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Hey, how come the lights go dim every time that chiller kicks on? <laughs> I don't know. Don't worry about it, babe. Don't worry about it. <laughs> it's supposed to do that. <laughs> so are you just using like a kind of like a wort chiller that, uh, like a, just caught a tube in a ice. Yeah. So no, so so what what I will end up gravitating to is just having like a probably a small uh, uh, brace plate heat exchanger that'll counter flow with some uh, with some water at those higher temperatures, right? So if I'm trying to to get something from 180 down to that 80 degree range, you know I don't need those lower industrial process temperatures. You know I could go ahead and just operate that with uh, regular tap water and make that heat exchange. So. Yeah, it'll be a it'll be a counterflow brace plate heat exchanger. Awesome. Well, nice. you guys should have plenty yeah. of those laying around. Of course, of course, of course. <laughs> well, I don't think I've officially introduced you. So, um, can you tell us a little bit about how you got into uh, refrigeration and then pro chiller itself? Yeah, for sure. So, 
uh, you know, give you just a, a, a kind of my own personal history. So I, I uh, started off working in, uh, as a mechanic building dairy farms and maintaining equipment on dairy farms in uh, the mid-90s. And I did that for about 10 years. And um, as I worked through that, the nice thing about being in that role with the dairy equipment business is you get exposed to a lot of different uh, mechanical industries. So pneumatics, hydraulics, welding, refrigeration, automation. Um, and so you could kind of pick and choose as you start to evolve, like, okay, what is it that I kind of tend to gravitate more towards? And for me, it, it was the refrigeration side of stuff. Um, you know, I serviced and worked on a lot of different people's um, refrigeration and chiller systems. We did a lot of DX on on um, on farm milk storage tanks, and then we had these packaged chiller systems. And the chillers were always interesting because you know here was this big box, and really all 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 you really kind of knew was that you know you had some cold fluid coming in and some cold fluid coming out and it went over to this plate and frame heat exchanger and everything happened instantly. And there was this cooling taking place. Um, and it was, there was a lot going on inside of them, if you will. And as you start to, to peel the layers of the onion, you start, I'm sure you guys are familiar with that. You know, each, uh, every manufacturer's equipment you service maybe has their own, uh, uh, little special idiosyncrasies. And for me, looking at the pro chiller system, that was my favorite one that I like to work on. You know, it was just uh, the way things were laid out, the panels were laid out. It seemed to be relatively uh, service friendly. And I had I had kind of known the Vandergeesens, which are the owners of our company of pro chiller, uh, a little bit through some uh, interactions and. Uh, the time came where they needed an inside salesperson, and I got the call and and moved from Idaho up to Seattle and and started working here. And that's been about 15 years ago. So started off with just inside sales and uh, moved into technical support, um, applications engineering, and now I'm managing uh, managing all that stuff. So uh, research and development's a kind of a big big thing that I drive here. We put up uh, Pro Chiller started in the early 90s, and Jim Vandergeesen Jr. and Jim Vandergeesen Sr. are our founders, and they started off just trying to come up with a um, packaged chiller solution for the dairy industry, and there was nothing they could buy kind of off the shelf. Uh, what was unique about it was kind of the temperature ranges. You know, you needed to operate in that your your saturated suctions are running in that plus 20, plus 15 range, which is kind of right at the edge on the lower envelope of some designs for air conditioning, but not quite that full lower temperature range. So it, it was a unique uh, application for them. Yeah. And so they took it on and said, you know what, we'll just build one. And uh, came up with a, initially back then, it was a spiral drum evaporator assembly was uh uh, kind of unique to pro chiller. And from there, it just kind of blossomed. Um, the company's, uh, in 2013, we opened up a, uh, kind of a state of the art manufacturing facility in Moxville, North Carolina. And that's been going gangbusters. About two years ago, we moved, uh, all of our standard manufacturing over to that facility. 
And that's, you know, they're cranking out chillers, you know, a few chillers a, a week, right? Where in Washington, what we kept was the facility here for special projects, research and development, and we could really get some uh, kind of constant customization um, of the product line, constant development. We get to do the uh, certification of new products comes out of here. What for me, for me is all the fun stuff is happening here in Auburn, Washington. Yeah, the cutting so, yeah. stuff. Yeah, totally. You know, trying new refrigerants, uh, running at different temperatures. You know, we do uh, uh, kind of from an industry standpoint, you know, we've, we are kind of our big ones are our breweries, wineries, distilleries. We do a lot in, uh, now in solvent recovery and extraction facilities, the uh, bakeries, food processing plants, and then some of our custom rack systems. Yeah, I think the craft beer industry was how I stumbled across refrigeration because I, you know, you could tell me if I'm wrong, but it sounds like you have quite a few hobbies and that's my hobby is actually having hobbies. So yeah, I yeah. got into brewing uh, beer at some point and I think I just like the challenge of trying to figure out whatever the, the new thing is that I haven't ever done before, but I got into brewing beer and then going on i ended up on actually some professional brewing sites and uh, forums yeah. if you will and they were talking mm-hmm. about uh, you know because i was looking for heat exchange information and uh, how to build wart chillers and counterflow chillers and all the things that you were talking about and yeah you guys were popping up like all these brewers you know were asking each other who are you guys using and i think i i kind of equate the breweries uh, similar to the dairies where those guys think that they can do everything. They're, they're really, mm-hmm. uh, they're really handy and they, they know yeah. how to fix a lot of things. And, uh, so, but the people that wanted to just buy a, a chiller, they were all saying pro chiller, pro chiller, pro chiller. And so that's how yeah. I ended up finding you guys. But you, you sound like you've gone from the dairy industry to craft beer. And then now you're expanding to even more markets. What's the newest market that you yeah. guys are kind of playing in? Yeah, the the newest and and the most exciting market right now is that uh, that solvent recovery and extraction market. Um, that 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 industry kind of presented some of its own unique challenges. Um, one of the the biggest challenges is is the operating temperature. So you've got a um, packaged chiller system that you need to develop that is going to be able to supply negative. 45 degree Fahrenheit temperatures. So all of a sudden, you you know, you start pushing envelopes on uh, what you have as far as equipment that's operating at, let's say, plus 20 Fahrenheit set point, And you start looking at different compression technologies, um, playing with different uh, refrigerants. Heat transfer fluids themselves become really critical uh, at those levels. And what I'm sure you guys have seen uh, with everyone's experience here, when you, when you, if you go, if you're working on um, a walk-in cooler versus a, a deep freezer, different aspects of things become more critical, right? Some of the things that uh, you might not have to be so exact on at a higher temperature, really, the low as those temperatures start dropping, things become uber critical, and so that that's been that's been a lot of fun. So we we've uh, got our Minus our, we call it our M45 series of chillers, and there uh, we have a, 
12 horsepower, a 20 horsepower, and a 30 horsepower. And um, they are, they're packaged systems, which is kind of a unique aspect to Pro Chiller, is that we, we have everything fully packaged, all the refrigeration circuits complete, all the fluid pipings complete, everything's there. And, um, you know, those, those are, those are rocking and rolling certified at minus 45 and they go in with, uh, to set up, to operate at a minus 45 set point. And here's the key thing that, that I've found. They stay there. We don't, we don't start at minus 45. The customer gets their process rolling and the equipment spikes up to plus 20. Now we, if, if you tell me that you want minus 45, I'm going to work with you figure out what the, what your cooling requirements are, and I'm going to design a system so that that reservoir stays at minus 45. So that, that, that's what's really cool. Hey, Damon, it's Ulysses. I just had a quick question. Yeah. I've worked on a few pro chillers, and I've noticed that all of them had a different heat exchanger. Do you all still uh-huh. use that spiral drum heat exchanger? We, you know, uh, so yeah, that's a good question, Ulysses. On our on our smaller systems right now, so we have uh, we have a whole range from three quarter horsepower all the way up to two hundred and sixty horsepower, and then we have them to operate in that temperature range from plus thirty five all the way to minus forty five. So depending on the the system that you you could have been working with, the the smaller range systems, uh, which are our um, chill star series some of our smaller ma series uh you will still see those with the spiral drum evaporator we've been going through some new we're we're looking at some new development stuff where we're looking at moving those over to a uh, brace plate style evaporator uh this the larger uh, size systems larger capacities the uh all of our ca series is the the line that we have those are all uh, semi-hermetic compressors, and then also our compact screw systems, they will all have brace plate evaporators. And a lot of that's just due to footprint. And the, the, the technologies on brace plates over the years. You know, 20, 30 years ago, you know, it, it, brace plates could, could freeze and rupture, and, and if they didn't rupture, you were, you were changing flow patterns of the fluid and the refrigerant, so you were, you were killing efficiencies. Uh, and that's what steered us away from them. And but in the last ten years, those design parameters of the of uh, brace plates have changed quite a bit. And there's some pretty pretty neat things that 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 make them make them a little more bulletproof. I see. So yeah. We've been happy with them. Me and Chad actually, we replaced a pretty big spiral drum heat exchanger uh, about two mm-hmm. years ago. Yeah. Um, a little story <laughs> with that. So we bled the refrigerant side before we uncapped the piping, but we weren't thinking at the time. And go ahead, Chad. (laughs) Well, so on the water side, we hadn't bled the nitrogen off, so I proceeded to unbraze the the cap on the end of it. A little bang? uh, No, it was a big bang. It it was was pretty scary. it, uh, well, I bet. Yeah, it bounced off a pole like right behind our head, and we found the cap probably like thirty, forty feet away, and oh, it was just cap. it was just mangled. I mean, it was flat, so that was oh uh, you know, never man, do, never oh, man. do that again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah, yeah was, those are those types of things can be scary for sure, man. Yeah, it was it was just a funny story that that we have. 
Hey, Damon, these yeah. are the guys that uh, you guys have to create warning labels for, just so you know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, totally. Hey, by the way, check this gauge again real quick, guys. <laughs> oh, man, that's wild. Uh, yeah, I haven't I haven't had anything that exciting yet. Yeah. Uh, Damon, I wanted to go back to the R&D or your guys' R&D lab in Washington. So is there anything yeah. in the works right now that you can talk about that you guys are currently testing or, um, you know, anything special that, that you're able to, to discuss um, that's going on right now? Sure, sure, sure. Um, so, so, uh, you know, like I, I mentioned earlier on the lower, the low temperature, the minus 45 uh, series systems. You know, working, do, doing a little testing with some, some different heat transfer fluids, uh, looking at some things there to, uh, you know, push that envelope a little bit. Seems like uh, in that, that world, every time we're asked to deliver a piece of equipment that's going to give a, a certain temperature range, someone always asks for something a little colder. So uh, uh, working on some of that and a lot of heat transfer fluid work right now. Um, we're also a big thing we're working with is our it's our it's called Elliot uh, Pro Elliot, which is our industrial IoT gateway. That's a really unique product that we're working with, and it's uh, an onboard web-based platform on this on the chiller systems, which gives the user just any access to all the parameters and data sets. Looking at you know the I don't know if you guys have have heard of the things like. Uh, like machine learning, where the machine's actually learning the things that could come up and and give the technician a notification that says, hey, you know, this is happening to me. I think you need to come take a look. So more, uh, you know, it seems like everyone's got something that they could just put online and say, you know, here's where you could go view stuff. But what about that thing? What about the interpretation? What about those further step processes? So um, Pro Elliot's a, a big thing right now that we're also working with on the on the R&D side of things. So it's a it's an open product right now. The new things we're working on with it and developing those are things that we can push and update live to systems that are out there. So um, that's something to to check out. MeetElliot.com is the website, and then uh, uh, there's there's some pretty neat things there popping. Refrigerants, you know, refrigerants are a big thing right now, right? Uh, what's happening with regulations? What types of refrigerants are are, are people looking at for the future? Um, you know, we've got things in the field right now that I'm that I'm operating uh, systems uh, probably looking at like 448 and 449 both, um, and uh, pretty happy with everything I've been seeing there. So nice, very nice. I think Ruben had yeah, some yeah, we got more it. questions for you about uh, what. So, go ahead, Ruben. You want to ask him about the difference between the pro chiller and the other chillers on the market? Well, I was, but since you asked him right now, I'm going to speak up. I just want to steal your thunder, your thunder man. man. Uh, <laughs> no, I'll, I'll, actually, um, I'll actually go back to something you said earlier. Um, you said that you guys recently built a rack in uh, Vegas. Mm-hmm. Um, I was wondering if you could, uh, touch up on that and, uh, just kind of go over, you know, what it's, uh, servicing and, um, sure. All that stuff. You bet. So it's a, it's a 448A, R448A is the refrigerant on it. Um, that particular units, uh, it's 290 total horsepower. It's split up between, I think off the top of my head, it's like nine compressors. Uh, we're running a medium temp suction group 
and a low temp suction group. And it's a, a water cooled um, system with subcoolers integrated. And it's feeding around 270 different devices in the facility. So the, the, the mechanical room's located on the fifth or sixth floor of the facility and it's feeding it's a distributed refrigeration system so it's it's feeding all the uh, all the everything from uh, like prep tables and walk-in coolers inside the restaurant spaces all the way down to like the margaritaville mixer machine out on the uh, front of the facility that sounds like a pretty big project but that's, yeah, that that's is awesome big. is that the only yeah. uh, rack they have at that place yeah yes it is mm-hmm Oh, yep. Okay. And what about you guys? Is that the only one that you guys have built, or is that something you normally no, do? No, no. We've got a we got another one that we've got. We um down in uh, at a warehouse facility there. Um, currently have a an active project that we're building right now that's going to go into a uh, uh it'll be a system built into a um we call it a porter room. It's like a shipping container with that's its own mechanical room. Hey, Damien Ulysses again. I was just wondering. Um, what type of controls do these uh, do you, uh, pro chillers use? Aside from the pro Elliot, besides that, because I've I've like I said, yeah. I've worked on a few, and I really like the IO boards. Yeah, um, yeah. So that that's something when I, um, so we utilize we have a, a, a microprocessor control card that is called our TCC or Total Cold Control, right. and that board it gives us uh, uh, it'll control. Uh, from an electro, it'll control two independent electronic expansion valves. It has um, inputs-wise, you've got multiple analog inputs uh, and some digital inputs, and then it's got re- your relay outputs coming off of it. Uh, it's got the communication capabilities uh, where we have multiple cards that communicate with each other, um, and you've got you got some really neat things with that control board where you can manually toggle the output relays off the card. That's really handy for troubleshooting. And then, you know, it's multi- you can have one control card and it can serve the purpose of multiple different uh, address positions on a system. So if you've got a, a four compressor piece of equipment, maybe you've got multiples around. You know, you really only have to keep one card around uh, to be able to interchange because the the addressing isn't set up with software. We set those types of things up on dip switches, so it would make it more uh, uh, plug and play with different different circuits. So, um, the go ahead. Well, I was going to say that from my experience, you guys do a lot of you know going back to the craft beer industry. A lot of these breweries they start off with kind of the I don't know the the minimum that they need to get going. And they start producing, mm-hmm. and they get more uh, an audience, and so their their business grows. And one of the things that you guys do, I think, pretty well, is you you offer basically like an expansion to their current system. So whenever they go to add fermenters yeah. or whatever other uh, cooling needs that they may have, you c- you can basically set another chiller down next to the one that they have and expand their operation without having yeah. to take the old chiller completely out and put in a new you know, chili that's double the size, essentially. That's right. That's right. You know, being able to have your product line um, uh, modular, if you will, so that, you know, you can you can start off with, you know, just enough to get you up and going and satisfy your cooling demands. 
And as your business grows and you start to require more cooling, you don't have to completely abandon your initial equipment purchase. Number one, if it, if it's one of our larger series, it'll have expansion ports already incorporated into the glycol reservoir. So now you just uh, can come in next to it with an expansion module versus uh, some of the smaller systems, which may have smaller fluid reservoirs and things. We, you know, we wouldn't necessarily say it's expandable, but it's convertible. So what, what a customer could do in that uh, situation is they could, you could convert that existing unit into a module and then upgrade to a larger size chiller and still tie that uh, initial equipment into it. And, and they basically share the capacity, so they increase capacity on a shared reservoir. Well, that's that's powerful for these uh, companies, like you said, that want to grow and and uh, maybe not want to, you know, completely go away from the piece of equipment that they started with. Oh so, yeah, absolutely, one, absolutely. One of the things that I think that sets you guys apart too in this this uh, I guess I would call it this kind of sub industry of chillers is that you guys have made a really big push to manufacture all of your own from every, you know, I guess aside from the compressor, but all of your own coils, the housings, everything is a pro refrigeration manufactured uh, item. Right. So I think you guys used to use uh, an outside, a third party coil, but you weren't necessarily Mm -hmm. happy with all that. So you decided, well, let's just bring it in house and we'll build our own coils. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's uh, that's kind of the 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 great thing about you know working with, um, you know having having the founder of the company as our CEO as well. You know we can move pretty fast, and if if we see things aren't aren't doing what we what aren't meeting our level of expectation, um, which uh, then then we could make an adjustment, and make a change pretty fast. Yeah, that's. Uh, I think that's great for the end user, uh, and obviously very good for a pro chiller to be able to move like that. And I'll, that's a a disadvantage that much larger companies, you know, have against them. I would say. Yeah, you can get they can get you can get bogged down, uh, you know, in some of the things, you know. But uh, you know, and and, and as uh, biz, as our even as our businesses continue to grow, uh, you know, you you do start to see some of the reasons why, you know, some of the reasons why certain things did take extra time. And, uh, you know, Jim Vandergeesen Jr. or myself, you know, we're still, uh, you could catch us down on the production floor, uh, you know, working, you know, working with people directly on things. And, uh, you know, as opposed to prepping for board meetings and stuff like that, you know, so um, involved in all aspects or, you know, myself even potentially sometimes even being out in the field, uh, uh, helping, helping out with some things too. So yeah, yeah. We like to, we like to keep it, keep it real. Now, along those same lines, you guys have a pretty outstanding tech support, uh, program. I, I, I would say, that. um, whenever the customers have any kind of issues, I mean, they can obviously call a service contractor, but if they are in a bind, they can also call you guys and get some over the phone help by, that's right. Um, uh, I'd just throw Ray's name out there since he, he was helping somebody that I know <laughs> last week or a couple weeks ago, but uh, they can get a yeah. hold of somebody. I mean, this, these larger companies are kind of ditching their tech support programs, and yeah. I feel like you guys are you know not doing that, which I think the end users yeah. are appreciative of. And, I hope so. Yeah, we've really we've really pushed our you know we 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 oftentimes look at it you know your tech support team you know how it how it is from a 
uh, how it weighs into the business, you know, and, and we do, we have a, we've, we've got four or five people, uh, on tech support. We've, we've started integrating them, uh, tech support more so that, you know, we also have, uh, product development and some R and D projects that they work at the same time. Uh, and we all kind of share a, a common call in queue, uh, through our phone system. So, uh, if somebody calls in, then, you know, it can hit a, a, a different levels of technicians. You know, I don't ever want to have, uh, ideally, I wouldn't have somebody real deep into microprocessor talk, um, you know, talking with one of my level one technicians. But you know what? My level one guys, the, the level two and the level three guys are all darn near, they're, they're easy to get to. So um, we work as, we were pretty solid as a team, I mean, all, all ex-mechanics and, we know what people are going through, and we know how important processes are for people when their cooling system's down and, you know, loss of product or being a, uh, you know, a technician that even needs some help on a Saturday night or a Sunday morning on an emergency service call. You know, we know, we, we know what that feels like uh, to be in those shoes as well. So we're eager to help, that's for sure. Hey, swinging back to the secondary refrigerant talk, uh, are you guys – looking are you using propylene glycol or can you can you say what you're using i guess yeah you mean so (laughs) no no you bet uh so our um our depending on the the systems that that we're operating with so our standard operating range of our chiller systems uh is uh on our i'd say our higher temperature range is going to be from uh plus five to plus 35 so that's going to be our ca series systems those are going to operate with a propylene glycol and water mixture. And then we have our M5 series, which is certified uh, down to minus five Fahrenheit. That, that's get unique in the way that it just runs a 50-50 glycol mix. And then um, the lower temperature range stuff, we're using a potassium formate uh, blend on that. That's good to uh, you know a certain threshold. And then some of the new stuff I'm looking at, uh, some things like silicone oils and some other stuff, but what you run into on the uh, those lower temperature heat transfer fluids, you start running into uh, hazardous fluids and you know some flammabilities and things like that. So you just you just can't take it and dump it into a reservoir and say let's go. Yeah, a lot of I'm and you got to think about gaskets and polymer compatibility and stuff like that. There's a lot of you, a lot of the industries that you guys are in are food you know, industry. So I'm sure you're having to look at food food grade products and what, if there was a leak, uh, how would that impact their production and and all that good stuff? Absolutely. Absolutely. For the most part, we got, you want to be okay with incidental contact to stuff. And, and that does, that, that does make its own kind of just different unique sets of challenges is, is the way I look at it. What are some things that mechanics can look for if they're going to service a, a pro chiller unit and they just walk up on site, they, you know, never have been to this facility before. What, what should they be looking for as far as operational uh, checks that they can do for the glycol system? Or uh, Obviously, it's, yeah. it's pretty similar to other pieces of equipment. I mean, it has a condenser coil, so you'd want to make sure that that's clean. But uh, what, can yeah, they, yeah. what should they be looking for on the glycol system as far as operational? Well, you know, um, just to back up to that, maybe uh, help people out. I have a whole technical portal available that's a website called mychiller.com. 
And that is something I would encourage uh, technicians to to visit mychiller.com. Use all the the resources that we have there. We we keep all of our manuals um, with PDF links there. We have some recommended maintenance items, some diagnostic sheets. Um, there's a lot of good tools there, and we're constantly adding to that. And it, and and I take I, I got broad shoulders. I can handle feedback. Bring it on, and any suggestions or any extra things you'd like to see, um, I, I encourage that. Um, so. You know, I guess number one, start with a good base of a foundation of okay, I'm walking up to a chiller. What what do I got going on here, right? And the 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 probably the the biggest things that I would encourage folks to be thinking about is number one, have your tools, have a glycol refractometer, because your glycol concentration inside your system is going to be important. And also, when you walk up, get up to a system, check to make sure that the fluid reservoir is full. That's probably one of the most common things that gets overlooked. And that reservoir, we want to see that no less than 80% full. There's a couple reasons why. Number one, you want to have that thermal flywheel on that reservoir for the system. So you don't want your compressors cycling too much. Um, low, glycol, low glycol fluid level is going to drive that. Uh, also, if you get down on glycol level, you're pro, you could end up getting like a vortex effect into your pumps, so they'll actually be pulling in some entrained air. So you look inside of a glycol reservoir, and all of a sudden it's kind of milky and foamy. Well, that's that's that that air is taking up all that space of fluid that should be running through your evaporators. So you know, fluid's important. Um, uh, flow is important, um, and by that I mean you know make sure your pumps are running the right direction. I have gotten on planes before and made some emergency flights just to switch a couple wires and reverse rotation on a pump. And that, wow. that would have been after <laughs> after somebody had replaced two or three expansion valves. <laughs> Yikes. I tell you, it always makes me nervous when I start seeing those, those service calls come in that, you know, uh, TXVs are getting replaced because I just know there's – you usually just bring it right back to your basics. So flow, um, fluid level. Um, we have liquid line sight glasses incorporated on all of our systems. So while the compressors are operating, glance at that liquid line sight glass. That should be full. So long as that liquid line sight glass is clear, and when the unit cycles off, it pumps down, it's okay. It's happy on charge. Um, that I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to add to that and say, and you guys could probably attest to this too, with electronic expansion valves, that's a little different, right? Yeah. Uh, because you've got such a wide range of the valve that you could be low on charge, and the things that you would see with a mechanical valve all of a sudden don't show up with an electronic valve. So now we got to start looking at, okay, well, what's our valve position running at? How are things looking that way? So um, fam familiarity with the... Uh, touchscreen interface that's on the equipment you know uh all of our larger systems with the touchscreens you can you can you can see pressures you can see valve positioning it gives you all that feedback right from the the touchscreen interface and we try to make that touchscreen interface super simple you know just a few different navigation buttons and you know everything's um labeled and and, and gives a good visual uh, most all of our systems are going to have mechanical gauges on them uh, as well. 
but I would still encourage mechanics hook your gauges up to, um, you know, it's a, a lot of times all, uh, folks will be given our tech support team feedback based off of our mechanical gauges. And sometimes like, for example, the suction pressure gauge has a bleed off port on the back side of it. So as it moves from, let's say Seattle, Washington, maybe it goes up to Denver, Colorado, and all of a sudden you've got, you know, different, different ambient pressures. Well, you, you want to open that bleed off port and bleed off that extra pressure on the back side of that, uh, that gauge so it reads accurate so sometimes those will throw people off a little bit on yeah i want to go back to the glycol uh real quick I, that's a, yeah. a great piece of advice these a lot of people don't or may have never even used a refractometer before but they come in mm-hmm. uh you can buy a fairly inexpensive one that will do a decent job and then it just kind of goes on up from there if you want to um and that's basically a a tube that you you put a drop of the fluid on the lens and then you look through a, a piece of glass and then it'll read out to you based on the you know, sugar content or whatever whatever fluid you're reading what the content right. of that fluid is. So you can go from uh, a tube style, you know, pretty basic, you know, a refractometer like that. I think what's the one I have? Uh, Forget the brand, but it's it's digital. So you can, there's Misco makes some that I've used before. Those are pretty handy. Uh, they're digital mm-hmm. and they read really quick. Um, they have a little cover that you know covers up the where you're putting the fluid at, and it, it's pretty accurate to my knowledge. Yeah, and I have another one. I think I got mine off of Amazon for. 150 bucks or something, a couple hundred bucks. I don't remember, but it does a pretty good job too. It's a little bit more bulkier than the Misco uh, Palm Abbey is the name of the Misco one. The one I have is a little bit more bulky, um, but it does just as good of a job and just gives you a readout uh, real quick and that you a repeatable measurement that you can get. It's a Hanna. Yeah, that one's made by Hanna Instruments. I think you can find it on Amazon, like I said, or on the internet somewhere. Yeah, you can, uh, a glycol refractometer is, it's, if you're going to be working on chillers that, uh, especially industrial process type, type, uh, systems, uh, where you're going to have a lot of glycol or heat transfer fluids mixed in, you want to, you definitely want to have that in your tool bag. That's important. What is the freeze point? What are you looking for for freeze point whenever you're trying to establish what your glycol concentration should be? Uh, I know that yeah. a lot of times what we run into is we'll get to a site that has a full reservoir, uh, but we realize quickly that, you know, they've had a leak and then whoever's at the facility has just been dumping water in it. Well, they, you know, unknowingly yeah. been diluting the concentration of the glycol to where the mm-hmm. freeze point's too high and then they start running into issues with the operation. Uh, what do you guys yeah. kind of look for for freeze point protection on systems? So we we recommend um, that the freeze point of the solution is no less than 20 degrees below set point. So what that means is if they're if you're going to operate at a 28 degree set point, then you should be freeze protected at minimum to plus eight degrees Fahrenheit. There's a caveat to that, and some of the caveat to that would be your ambient temperatures. So your coldest winter ambient temperature. Um, you know, you go up into uh, central North Dakota, or I've got a system in uh, uh, you assist a lot of systems up in northern Alaska or northern Canada, even systems in Alaska too. But you know, if, if you're going to see a prolonged extended period of operation at minus 20 ambient, then you should set up your system for that 
ambient temperature. And that's because everything's going to be on a package skid, so everything's outside. So for some reason, your power, you lose power and you lose flow, and that, that kind of that turbulent movement in the reservoir, then you want to make sure that you're not going to uh, rupture pipes and stuff. So you kind of switch gears a little bit from protecting your uh, refrigerant evaporator from the saturated suction temperature to protecting your fluid uh, system from your ambient temperatures. So kind of uh, down in Texas area, maybe down uh, in, in Dallas, you don't got to worry about it, but you get up into the panhandle, it's going to get cold there too. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> They got they got a whole lot of problems up in the panel. That's the yeah. yeah, we don't mention them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I think we're coming up on just about an hour here, so I think we'll go ahead and let you okay. go. Um, but we really appreciate it. If people want to find out more about Pro, we've already talked about mychiller.com, proelia.com. Is there anywhere else that they can go to find you guys? Yeah, yeah, you know, um uh so you've got you got the mychiller.com is your technical portal. Uh com. that'll introduce you to the industrial IoT platform. Our prochiller.com is our main webpage. That's where it talks about our different applications and different products and uh but check us out. We got a lot of stuff there. A lot of good uh good tools and and uh, don't ever hesitate to uh send us a note if you got any input. We love to hear it drop by the shop and pick up a hat or a shirt if you're uh, into that kind of thing too swing swing on in if you go <laughs> I, I got another prochillerparts.com is our web store we even have swag on our web store too so just drop drop a line <laughs> very good well thanks a lot damon i really appreciate it that's damon from Pro you bet guys you. i sure appreciate thanks, it thanks, thanks a lot bye I wanted to ask him about the T or the EVs, if they're all moving yeah, all the EVs or if they're still running. That would have been a good question. Call, call him back. Dude. Get him back on the line. <laughs> call him back. <laughs> yeah, one quick question. <laughs>